This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 74th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. If you recall, last week we talked about some famous movies that we haven't seen, and you said Scarface, which is a pretty famous movie. Yeah, I... I changed my answer, though. I was thinking more about, uh, obviously, yeah, I haven't seen that, but one really famous movie that I've never seen that I bet you guys haven't either is... (laughs) I can't think of it. (laughs) (laughs) Citizen Kane. That's it. Really? Yeah, that is the one I was thinking of. (laughs) I have not seen that. But, but it's like that's probably supposed like, to be like one of the best movies yeah, ever, or like what, the yes. the start of modern cinema. Mm-hmm. Next movie night. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay. Yeah. How do you even access that movie? <laughs> Same as all other movies. I think you can only get it. You can via, only get it on like analog. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the actual film reels. So yeah. You rent a projector. <laughs> okay, we well, can do that. Well, anyways, my answer last week was Remember the Titans. Um, I'm a little embarrassed again to say that. Um, but you but don't have to be embarrassed anymore. I don't have to be embarrassed because we watched the movie with uh, within the last week, so everybody can just relax and take a deep breath. I know I had a lot of lot of criticism um, online. I don't know how you made it through. All that. the haters were just gosh, just unrelenting. But we made it. We watched the movie. It's a great movie. I'm glad I watched it. It was definitely time. It's very compelling. Great story. Good acting sometimes. Um, Most l- of the time. Little cheesy, but but great movie. When uh, we all kind of chuckled when uh, Gary Bertier stares down the op- uh, the opponent's coach, like <laughs> yeah, it's like the the angle that they filmed it. Was. For the listeners, I just pointed at the uh, the camera. Yeah, go to YouTube if you want to see that. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> it would have looked exactly like it did on the movie, but so yeah, you guys can sleep at night knowing that I've seen the movie and I approve. That's great. Well, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, we are posting the videos of these podcasts now uh, on YouTube. Um, We kind of did a trial run last week, and everything went fairly well. So we're going to attempt to keep doing that. So another um, avenue where you can access us. Because as Kyle said, we are the most accessible people around, basically. pretty much. Well, Kyle, before we get to the riveting Georgia recap that we're going to dive into. We do have a lot of news. Um, For those that follow college basketball recruiting, like we do, uh, we're going to talk about the new Rivals 2021 rankings. Uh, But first, big news in the Mizzou world, Mario McKinney has enrolled at John A. Logan College in Illinois. That is a junior college. And he will play there next season with his goal of with his goal being to return to a Division One team in 2021-22 season. Yeah, I wish Mario the best. Um, I hopefully think this will be a good situation for him to flourish and kind of develop his offensive game. 
Uh, I'm thinking there's probably a little bit less offensive structure um, at uh, John A. Logan College uh, and comparatively to Conzo Martin offense. So um, wish him the best, and hopefully he gets back and playing for a D1 team in the next year or two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how he plays and what teams kind of show that they're still interested in, in him and if any new suitors emerge. Uh, but moving on to the recruiting rankings, um, if you don't know, we attended the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions here in Springfield and got to see some of the best uh, seniors in the country, um, a lot of them going to schools like Duke, LSU, um, among others, but uh, there were a couple of juniors in that tournament who are very present on the rivals new 2021 rankings and kyle specifically spotlighted a kid named trevor keels who played for paul the sixth in fairfax virginia as a player he was really impressed with at the tournament of champions and with the new rivals rankings they seem to agree with you kyle he jumped 17 spots um to 15th in the country for his class well uh that's that's good and all but i have something to confess that i actually work at rivals and i single-handedly was responsible for his jump in the rankings so wow you really tricked me that's just just so that you could have a good take yeah Uh, you know i i gotta look good somehow and then just to come forward with it just immediately that's really big of you (laughs) i'm just kidding i don't work for rivals but uh i should probably be a a college basketball scout is what i think that's pretty obvious now um few recruits that are more interested uh, more interesting to Missouri specifically uh, St. Louis's Jordan Nesbitt who has not been officially recruited by Missouri that we know of they don't have he does not have a scholarship offer from Missouri but he jumped 39 spots which is the highest jump I saw in the top 100 to 83rd in his class so he got a, a top 100 recruit there in St. Louis and then on the other side of the state actually across the border in Kansas City Kansas uh, a kid that does have a Mizzou offer, Tamar Bates, jumped 32 spots to 95th in the country. So those are two guys uh, pretty close to Columbia taking major steps forward in the recruiting rankings, but one in Jordan Nesbitt that does not have an offer from Mizzou. Yeah, I think Conzo does a lot of things in the recruiting uh, area that I don't really understand, and definitely uh, this being one of them, that Jordan Nesbitt does not have an offer because kid can flat out score um super talented um in-state guy seems like uh the exact player you would want to be going after so um, do you think that if mizzou jumped in the race today it'd be too late well according to the internet he has offers from nebraska iowa ole miss and tulane those are the only offers he has so i would say it would definitely not be too late for missouri to enter the picture and maybe you know, if they've made some kind of contact and just not officially offered yet, then it would be a little bit easier to jump in at this point. Um, if he has not heard from them one bit so far, then maybe some of these other schools that have been in it since the beginning, I'm thinking specifically Ole Miss and Iowa, uh, that have pretty decent programs. Um, Ole Miss obviously taking a little bit of a dip this year, but, uh, those teams could be rewarded by being in from the beginning. Perhaps, you know, we've seen it before with, you know, not just with this uh, coaching staff, but even with previous ones that if they have two guys that they think are about equal 
sometimes they'll just go with one and just basically ignore the other one. Uh, we saw that famously in the Kim Anderson era with Kevin Perrier and uh, OG. Yep. Uh, who I believe is now in the NBA having yeah, a pretty nice potentially career. even uh, NBA champion now with the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. He'd but we still like Kevin Perrier, but definitely. it would have been nice to have both. Yeah, I would have taken both there. That's yeah. a that's a situation where you'd be happy to have both. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything specifically about Tamar Bates? I mean, I mean, he's, again, the exact kind of player you want to land. I mean, a top 30 player in state, it's going to be tough, but that's the kind of player that we're going to have to have a shot at. And those are the kind of players that can spark some hope and some excitement on the recruitment. But I just haven't heard that much about him. I know he has a Mizzou offer, but I, I mean, just recruiting has been so quiet that I just don't know. I feel like generally I kind of have an idea of how good I feel about certain recruits, but I know, I know nothing about the recruitment of even the in-state guys, how likely we are to land some of these guys or whatever. Um, I just I don't know anything about the recruitment with Missouri. Um, he uh, Bates has an offer from Kansas State, Creighton, and Missouri State, and Wichita State, Northwestern. So uh, Missouri, in theory, in theory, could be uh, towards the top there. And then uh, Michigan guard that Missouri has offered and has been uh, in with uh, a couple visits there, Jaden Akins. He is up nine spots to 110th. And that kind of, those two guys there, Bates and Akins, I spoke a couple weeks ago now about how there is this 2021 recruiting class that could be, you know, similar to um, the Watson, Penson, Pickett class but with three guys having a star better or you know maybe 50 ish spots better than their equivalent from that 2018 class and you know i think it's right there i mean you're talking about a point guard around the top 100 a uh a sh- off guard inside the top 100 I would venture to say at this point that Missouri is recruiting Michigan as well or better than they've recruited Missouri, at least in the Conzo Martin era. A lot of it has to do with Cornell Mann and his connection to Michigan, but Trey Jackson is from Michigan. Uh, Rocket Watts is from Michigan and had a real shot at landing him last year. Obviously, that's having a shot at him is different from landing him, but uh, we've really been in the thick of it with some guys from some really good players from Michigan, so... Uh, might have a good shot at, at uh, Jaden Akins if we can continue to get that pipeline going. Uh, it would be nice to recruit Missouri well as well. <laughs> yeah, that would that would definitely uh, be a benefit. And then two guys that we saw in the Tournament of Champions that are from Missouri but are not ranked yet uh, in their junior class is Anton Brookshire from Kickapoo and Nick Kern from Vashon. And I really think that these guys, especially Brookshire, could be right on the cusp and as we transition from focusing on the 2020 class to the 2021 class uh, and these recruiting services kind of um, they'll extend their lists to the top 200 um, and some recruiting services aren't really even focusing on the junior class at all yet Um, as that starts to happen a little bit more then i think we'll see these guys 
um, especially Brookshire, enter that top 150 conversation and maybe be close to a four-star player when mm-hmm. it's all said and done. Uh, Nick Kern, I think, is a little bit more raw, and because he's had some pretty, some just some star players on his teams uh, his first two years, I think he's having to kind of grow into that leadership role a little bit more, and we'll see, obviously, a lot more next year when they're without uh, Cam Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Well, at least in just watching him uh, a couple weekends ago, he doesn't seem quite as flashy of a player maybe as uh, as Fletcher or even Kobe Clark probably. Um, so he might be a little bit harder for him to be discovered by, you know, rivals or, or whatever it is. Brookshire, I think, has a better shot of, of being ra- ranked in the one in the top 150. Um, but either way, I mean, I think both players will be good at the college level. And I think it will be interesting to see where they land, where they end up going. Um, I think Brookshire, you know, might end up at the Missouri State level. But I think he's got a shot to definitely land at a higher level than that. He's super talented. Yeah. Uh, that'll definitely be one to keep an eye on. And transitioning to football news, uh, former Mizzou and NFL great Justin Smith has been inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame located here in Springfield, Missouri. Um, if you can't tell by looking at us uh, or listening to us, we're a little too young to remember the golden years of Justin Smith do- dominating on the uh, Missouri defensive line, but... He had a long career in the NFL and was truly great defensive yeah. lineman in the NFL. Yeah, I feel like he's probably had the best NFL career of maybe any Mizzou player ever. Um, he, yeah, really long, really good career um, in the NFL. So that's definitely cool. And it's cool that we have that here in Springfield. It's one of the cooler things we probably have to offer in Springfield, honestly. Um Now, moving on to some football recruiting news. Last week, we interrupted the podcast uh, to let you know about a football commitment from Ben Key. Uh, That had just been announced when we stuck that in there, so uh, we can elaborate on that a little bit this week. He is, in fact, a JUCO transfer. He is now enrolled at Mizzou and has two years of eligibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three years to play two, and like you said, he's enrolled, uh, and I think he signed today, um, former Missouri, uh, Mississippi State commit um and then i think when they had a coaching change he was able to opt out of his nli um missouri has a lot of potential on the on the defensive line for playing time and i'm sure that was probably pretty attractive to him um and i would expect that he comes in and and plays a sizable amount next year just considering especially after this upcoming season we lose like everybody so um he's he's gonna play uh for sure in the next couple years and I think he he's actually from Australia and has played a lot of rugby. So it might take a little bit of time for him to kind of just figure out what he's doing at the Division One SEC level at football, but um, has potential to be really good. And then another uh, commitment that was announced here recently was a fellow named Johnny Walker, uh, another defensive lineman. Yeah, he is listed as an, I think he plays outside linebacker in high school, but he'll probably play defensive end at Missouri. But he's a 2020 recruit, so he's going to sign here in the next week or so. Um, I watched his film. He was actually a former Washington State commit and then decommitted whenever Mike Leach left. Um, But Missouri had been involved with him before he had committed to Washington State, so it wasn't like he was totally unfamiliar. But the guy is super fast, um, super athletic, 
and I really feel like that's just kind of the direction that the game is going in with defensive linemen, especially DNs are just usually super quick, shifty guys, and I don't know, they're basically just like a little bit heavier outside uh, linebackers, so <laughs> um, good to have speed on the outside for sure. And then speaking of guys who will sign in the next week, um, oh, sorry, let me uh, let me skip back to that in a sec. Um, Missouri, another commitment Missouri got was from Virginia Tech grad transfer wide receiver Damon Hazelton Jr. Um, a little a little biography on him. Uh, this is his third stop in his college career. He started at Ball State in 2016, transferred to to Virginia Tech where he set out uh, in 2017. And then in his sophomore season, he caught 51 passes for 800 yards and eight touchdowns. He missed a few games his junior year because of injury, but he still caught 31 passes for over 500 yards and another eight touchdowns. So I think this is definitely the uh, touchdown maker that uh, Coach Drinkwitz was talking about when he said he, that one of the things that he needed to add to this class. Yeah, it's it's really obvious where like our areas of need are, and that's defensive line and wide receiver. And it's good to know that I guess what I would consider our areas of weakness are also the same thing that the coach is going after. Um, like every everybody that's committing right now is defensive line and then wide receiver. Um, I think Hazelton has a really good chance to be our number one wide receiver next year. Um, experienced, big body guy. I mean, he's just, I don't know. He's I think he was, what, like 6'2", maybe, um, which is just not, we don't really have a whole lot of size, a wide receiver. We don't have a really a whole lot of experience coming back. Um, with Jonathan Johnson leaving and Alberto, who isn't really a wide receiver, but he's still a pass-catching threat. So um, the offense is going to definitely look a little bit different, have some different guys out there, but I'm really happy to uh, to have this guy going out there for us next year just so we can have some returning experience and, and a guy that's a, a proven player. Definitely. And then uh, a player that will announce a decision here in the next couple of days is uh, Enos. Ennis, Ennis Rakestraw Jr. Interesting name. Nice job. He's going to announce his decision uh, on February 5th. That is the official signing day. And most people think it is down to Mizzou and Alabama. We got this right. <laughs> like we, we, all, we regularly beat out Bama for recruits they want, right? Yeah, especially when Nick Saban visits them in home yeah. uh, the week before signing day. Yeah, this definitely feels like he's going to Bama um, because it's a, it seems like it's a recruit that Bama truly wants. He's not super highly ranked, but I feel like this just happens at the end of the recruiting cycle is there are players that are still available um, who are really highly sought after, even if they're like just a random like three-star recruit. Um Guys just get discovered later than, than others a lot of the times, but definitely this is a guy that's blown up in the last few months. And I think Rakestraw has a really good relationship with David Gibbs, who is on Missouri staff. Um, I think there was some rumors that David Gibbs might take another job, um, get a little promotion, but that obviously did not end up happening. So Missouri is still in it for uh, Rakestraw, but I think it, at this point it just kind of feels like they're just – in the running to be in the running whenever Alabama is involved. So he needs to be able to put more than one hat on the table. Yeah. So he's going to just put a Missouri hat. I on mean, there. that's kind of what it feels like a little bit. Um, I could be totally wrong. I maybe Missouri has a shot, but, um, I, I think I'd like to think that they do, but yeah, um, if Bama wants you, then it's, it's tough to, to say no to, to Nick Saban. 
But that would be a, a big one if that'd I mean, be huge. If uh, Drinkwitz is able to show that he can compete with the, I mean, that's the highest competition imaginable when it comes to um, football recruiting. So yeah, we'll see what happens on the fifth, which is signing day. Uh, did I miss anything news-wise? Are we ready to talk about some basketball games? I think you covered it. West Virginia recap. Uh, we'll try to make this one relatively quick and painless because the game was anything but painless, as we kind of predicted. And then uh, we'll spend a little bit more time talking about a Missouri win. Uh, but Missouri lost to West Virginia 74-51. to uh, Missouri started slow. They did mount a comeback to close out the first half. They were down just one point at halftime. I thought maybe we've got something here. I thought, man, I'd be really happy to be wrong uh, from our predictions from the podcast. But I don't know. I mean, Missouri started out 0 for 8 from 3. And then just the end of the first half, they kind of just muddied the game up a little bit. And... I don't know that a few shots started to fall. West Virginia kind of struggled offensively for a while and Missouri was able to kind of climb back into it. But then after halftime, it all went away like that. I would say the whole game was pretty muddy. Yeah. I would say, I'd <laughs> um, say with these two teams. Uh, I think West Virginia is a really good team, especially defensively. They're like what? Number one in Ken Palm defensively. I think so. Maybe yeah, top three. I think um, that was clear and obvious in this game that they were fantastic on the defensive end. I think, uh, where I do have concerns for West Virginia d- in their season down the road for them is just offensively. They don't shoot the ball very well from three. They don't have outstanding guard play. They do have some incredible forwards that will just destroy you on the inside, which is what we saw happen in the second half of this game. I think Bob Huckins just said, hey, guys, we're a lot bigger and stronger than them, and our post players are a lot better than theirs, so let's just take advantage of that, and they did. Um, yeah, they were just out-rebounding us. They were scoring at will in the second half, but um, – I certainly think that, and I think maybe even the announcers said this in the game, that if West Virginia gets matched up against somebody in the, in the NCAA tournament that can hang with them down low, they might have an interesting situation on their hands, but that obviously did not apply whatsoever for this game. Yeah, they were just super inefficient on offense, so they never really kind of found a rhythm, which I think is probably has been kind of the case for West Virginia all season is this – they kind of get by with elite defense and just doing enough on offense to win games. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to kind of what we thought Missouri's uh, game script might be a lot of the time going into this season. Obviously, neither aspect of the game for Missouri has been good enough to accomplish that. But uh, when West Virginia started the second half on a 21-0 run, I was just like, I don't know. They made Missouri look like a high school team. Yeah. It was just like they looked so Missouri looked so inferior to West Virginia during that run. And basically after that, they just, they didn't need to do anything else. I mean, they were up by 20 and being at home and having such a good defense, there was no possibility that Missouri was going to come back in this game. Missouri shot 30% from two and 27% from three with 16 turnovers. That's terrible offense. (laughs) Yeah, it was brutal to watch. I don't even think I finished the game, which I can't say that very often, but that was 
the case for this one. That's I pretty think bad. I uh, just had better things to do with when this game started winding down and it was com- completely out of reach. Well, then you might have missed Torrance Watson. I actually did. Uh, he got. Uh, he actually managed to salvage a game for himself. He ended up with 19 points, but he was helped by some garbage time three-pointers. Yeah. But the stroke looked good. Still the ball going in the basket. That's still what you want to see, and it's good for him to see that. But obviously, yeah, it didn't matter. You mentioned the rebounding. West Virginia out-rebounded Missouri 50-30, to 30, including uh, an, an advantage of 11 on the offensive glass. Yeah, it's just devastating whenever you have a good defensive possession and they put up a shot and it's like a th- long three and it's just a long rebound and just a West Virginia guy gets to it or the other team. I mean, every game, it's it's devastating, but it just felt like it happened a lot in this game, in the second half of this game. Yeah, I think uh, the against Missouri, the opposing offense, I think, shoots like about 80% on three-pointers after offensive rebounds. That's <laughs> what it seems like. Feels anyway. like it, yeah. If they get more than one shot at it, it seems like somebody knocks it down eventually. But we knew that was going to happen, basically. We thought, you know, 15-point loss was very likely. It could have it easily been 20. Um I don't know. I just thought that maybe Missouri would show something on offense that just, I don't know. You did? Well, I, I, that's what I'm A always looking for. A terrible offense against the best offense I'm or always, the best defense. I'm always looking for just like somebody. I guess you, what I was looking for was Torrance Watson to actually make some threes not in garbage time. Something like that. Yeah. I that, just that's, point to and say this was yeah. a person who was successful at doing something. Yeah, there was almost zero of that in the game at all. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to talk about Georgia. Let's do it. Forget West Virginia. That's old news. Yep. Let's talk about Let's this move Georgia on. game. Let's do it. Missouri won 72-69, to 69, which I believe was exactly dead on the Ken Palm prediction before the game. Uh, sometimes he'll get I it. I think it was. Yeah, exactly. sometimes those computers will get it exactly right uh, with his algorithms or whatever and they managed to do that this time it did not look like that was going to be the case for a really long time it looked like georgia was going to run away with it and they were well on their way to a win missouri clawed back into it a really great comeback so we'll just kind of go through how it happened real quick Uh, missouri jumped out to an eight to two lead after um, some made three pointers from drew smith and mitchell smith and a basket from reed nico and one thing that I noticed right at the beginning was Drew Smith just taking and making an open three, not overthinking it, not looking for another guy. He had an opportunity to make a basket. He did it. Then uh, the teams just kind of went back and forth. Trey Jackson made a three. That's good to see. And then Anthony Edwards decided, you know what? I'm better than everybody else on this court. I'm just going to take over. And he sparked a 22-3 to Georgia run. Man, did he look really good. Yeah, I told you actually uh, earlier that I was watching the game on my phone, and I think uh, at one point it was like 18-16 to 16, Georgia, and I just happened to look away from the game for a few minutes, and I came back, and it was 33-17 to 17, uh, Georgia. So I was like, whoa, like what happened? It had only been like five minutes of real time. And so I was like, well, there it goes. Uh, you know, they, they were got an early lead and were being competitive and were scoring pretty well. 
um, up until that point. And so then I kind of lost all hope when that happened. But how good is Anthony Edwards? Oh, he's incredible. He just, his offensive abilities and the announcers kind of talked about, you know, how you can take him out of his game a little bit, make him, you actually want him to go to the right because he has trouble pulling up uh, from his right side and yeah, that's fine. But when you can't stop him from getting to the rim and he's making his three point shots Mm -hmm. and he can just pull up from anywhere, like, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I guess try to make him go right if you think that'll help, but he just did it all. Yeah. And then like we talked about in the preview, if you just key on key in on him and try to double team him or just send extra guys when he gets in the paint, he's, he can do it. He can pass off to the open guy. And we saw that a couple of times for just wide open layups. Yeah. He will probably be the best player Missouri plays all year, I would say. Yeah, it'll be. And we talked about it in the preview. It'll be really interesting to see where he gets drafted because mm-hmm. of uh, injuries. Obviously, Golden State Warriors are potentially going to be the number one, get the number one overall pick. James Wiseman, who is not playing right now, so he's kind of a, a question mark. And is he, you know, a modern solution for an NBA center? Mm-hmm. And then you got Anthony Edwards, who you'd think. That's a little bit redundant when you have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson so coming back. Heavy, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you go for it, and just think he's the future. Maybe you trade out of the number one pick. I don't know what you do if you're if you're Golden State, but that'll be actually a really interesting storyline. Usually, the NBA draft is kind of boring because it's like we know who the top five guard, who the top five guys are, and where they're going. Yeah, I know, think there's a lot before. of a lot of intrigue to the first round of of this year's NBA draft for that very reason. We just I think there's gonna be a little more uh a little more mystery this year and, and where some of those guys go and and absolutely edwards has the chance to go number one overall so missouri chipped away at the lead a little bit but they still went into halftime down 42 to 30 uh, mitchell smith was three for three uh from long range and that was absolutely huge in the first half as far as keeping missouri in it if he's gonna make threes consistently i'm perfectly fine with him with him doing that because he you're fine with him making threes. okay i worded that weird but like (laughs) i just i don't know i feel like i'm so all over the place with mitchell smith because he looks good shooting threes but you know and he moves well for how for a 610 guy but uh seems to do the right things on defense yeah he plays a lot plays a lot of minutes but just feels like i i feel like he hurts us so bad sometimes by just throwing up so many threes but uh, I believed him in him all along. Obviously, he was on my three-on-three team before the season started. So I'm ride or die. Mitchell Smith, Well, he's the man. Yeah. Cam Anderson knew what he was doing when he brought him oh, in. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, Anthony Edwards and Tyree Crump had 25 of Georgia's 42 points at halftime. And Tyree Crump is notable because he made three threes in the first half as well. But he did not make a single three-pointer in the second half. Um, a few minutes into the second half, uh, Georgia went on another run. This time it was 13 to two and they extended the lead out to 59 to 39. And that was it. I can't believe it. Missouri is going to lose by a lot at home to Georgia. Another team that just win this game and you'll probably finish above them in the standings at the end of the year. You're playing another team that is bottom half of the league and you just can't get it done. And how is this team actually going to be bottom four in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, it feels good to know that Missouri won this game um, and, you know, like made a 
incredible comeback, which is really not common for a team like this that's so offensively challenged. But there's still this to think about, that they got down by 20 points to Georgia at home. And I guess, yeah, the end result is good, but I'm still just, I cannot believe that happened. Did you see that Anthony Edwards was asked how the uh, the home crowd, or Missouri's home crowd impacted the game? And he said something to the effect of, that seemed like one of the smallest like, crowds we've played in front of, so it didn't affect us at all. We hardly noticed them. Yeah. He sa- sounds kind of salty to me. Yeah, but also... I think I, I saw that challenge him. For on sure, that. I mean he's probably right. I think uh, I saw that Missouri, and I don't know if this was going by the actual amount of people in the in the seats or how many tickets were sold, but I believe it was the fifth lowest uh, attended game that they had played in front of uh, this year. So I mean, he's right. Still pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. I actually felt like watching the game on TV. I actually felt like the crowd was pretty decent. Seems like there was cons- a decent amount of students. There. Yeah. So considering the circumstances of the season right now, I was actually really pleasantly surprised to see how well attended it looked mm-hmm. on, on TV, at least. Yeah. I think uh, I've always thought they should move those students over to the sideline where the camera's facing them on the whole game. Yes, absolutely. More students would show up. Yes. And they're going to be rowdy and stuff. I mean, plenty of blue blood programs do that. I know there's a lot of money in the in the pockets of the folks that sit in those seats normally, but man, when they just don't show up, we want to win games. It's tough. Yeah. What do you think about the bright yellow seats? <laughs> I think some people are very passionate about. Uh, I mean, those that color. How that even is a thing <laughs> is beyond me. Obviously, that's a well-known joke in Mizzou fandom is that it's just like so glaringly obvious when games are not well attended because these bright yellow seats just scream at you that there's nobody at this game yeah makes no sense so you are or are not a fan of the yellow seats i am not a fan okay what would you propose as a what what would you like to see how how would you do it differently because i agree with you that the yellow i say that section should be bleachers okay it should be with a with the students or should be okay that section with the the camera faces should be bleachers and that should be the student section then do whatever you want anywhere else the bleachers should be black the students should wear black most of the time so if there's not a lot of them still just looks black i think that's fairly simple but build a new arena I don't know. I think you can get creative and, and do something yeah. about uh, maybe being I think that drastic. Not only like can you just tell <clears throat> there's not a lot of people at this game, but I think it's just not attractive. Yeah. Like it's just really like bright. And yeah. I don't know. And it's not quite the gold color no, of the actual yellow. stuff on the court. Yeah. And jerseys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where Were we talking about this Georgia game? Let's see here. Uh, Georgia <laughs> went on another run. Uh, it was a 20-point game. Edwards grew his point total to 21 during the run. So he had 21, Missouri as a team had 39. And according to Ken Palm's game, what do you call that? The uh, uh, probability chart, Missouri had a 4.5% chance to win this game. (laughs) And there was about uh, 13 and a half minutes left. I would have thought it was even lower than that, to be honest. Yeah, that's pretty low. But uh, there's still a chance. 
But then something changed, and that something was Xavier Penson, and he did everything. I'll just run you through a little stretch of everything that he did here. So he got to the free throw line, made a three-pointer, got to the line again, found Reed Nickel for a dunk, got a basket right at the rim, converted two from the free throw line again, made another three-pointer to cut the lead to five, and then went back to the line and knocked down two free throws to cut the lead to three, 65 to 62. He was everywhere. And as he's chipping away, and obviously a few other players contributed, but, I mean, he looked like he was not ready to be done with this game. And he was one of the few that kind of looked like he thought they could get back in this. And that is the one thing when you're playing against Georgia, who's not a good defensive team. We talked about with West Virginia, obviously they're a really good defensive team. They're not going to give you an opportunity to come back. Georgia, with their struggling defense will and their fast pace, will give you opportunities. If you can just make some shots, mm-hmm. they'll give you opportunities opportunities to get back in the game. And Xavier Pinson just took advantage of it. And that was really fun. And I thought, but as, as it was happening, as a Mizzou fan, you just get this feeling like, oh, here we go again. They're going to get it close and fall short. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just Rip our that's hearts just what out you again. expect. Yeah, I think Penson probably has the highest ceiling of any player on Missouri's roster. And sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's really bad. Um, there, there is a really big range in like the possibilities of how Penson's going to play. But when he's on, it is a thing of beauty. And he is so fun to watch and never take him out of the game <laughs> until he starts doing something stupid or something. Because we saw that single-handedly he changed this game and I just think he can do things on this roster that, that nobody else can do. And just to shoot like something into this roster, like something into this offense that, that makes it work. And I think that thing is just the ability to go get a shot. Just go get a basket. Yeah. He doesn't need, he doesn't even need a ball screen sometimes. He, He can just go ISO, but they were running a high ball screen, which pretty sure everybody's been begging them to do all season. We wanted him to do it with Tillman. Now Tillman's not in there. They decide to do it. And when when they do it with Drew, he's able to kind of, you know, just kind of bully his way down in there towards the basket. Penson is the opposite. He just knifes his way in. In the blink of an eye, he's at the rim. And they're not always converting when they get there, but a lot of times they're getting fouled. And that was huge mm-hmm. in the second half, getting to the free throw line mm-hmm. and just being efficient. Yeah, that's a totally different concept than we saw from this team last year. It's one of the one of the only things I like about this team uh, that I really feel like they've improved upon is, is, well, one, turnovers. I think they're turning the ball over less, but I really like how much they're get, trying to get to the basket and get fouled, and they're not just settling. Well, they've had a few games where they've settled for a lot of threes, but I think uh, for the most part they're really making concentrated effort to just get to the basket and get easy, easy points and, and get to the line. That's got to be hard, though, as a player when you know you're capable of knocking down threes. Like, obviously, these players have some confidence in their shot. They keep going to it. And I'm sure the mm-hmm. coaching staff sees it, knows, yeah. you know, the mechanics are there. They do it in practice. Got to just keep letting them fly because they're going to drop mm-hmm. at a reasonable percentage. And in SEC play so far, they have dropped at a reasonable rate. Mm-hmm. But 
when you start a game over eight like they did against West Virginia, it's just like, why are you shooting threes? Right. Stop doing it. I think every player individually at one point in time has shown they can consistently make threes, whether it's this year or last year. Everybody's shown that they can make threes, but yeah, we'll just hit these weird rough patches where nobody can make a shot. Yeah. And it's all it's and everybody at the same time. It just sometimes. like yeah, and it just like takes them out of the whole game. Like yeah. it's just over because we go eight minutes without scoring a point yeah. or a field goal. Uh, somewhere in this run, Drew Smith got called for an offensive foul that was probably one of the weakest offensive fouls I've ever seen. His defender literally like chest bumped him, like kind of jumped up into the air and chest bumped him and then fell down. Mm-hmm. And it is it just me as a biased fan and a fan of Drew Smith, or does he get the weirdest offensive foul calls? And he they're does. always like, Right around the free throw line. Right. He's trying to get to the basket. At this point, I think it's a trend that teams have picked up on. Um, They've probably seen on film that the refs will call this if we kind of throw ourselves at him. And if he reacts in any way, like sometimes he'll kind of extend the arm literally just a few inches. That's enough to to look like he's kind of pushing off. The refs have been calling that on him frequently. Like the last few games that's happened to him at least once every single game where he gets called for one of those offensive fouls that's just because the defender is all over him yeah and he's just trying to create a little bit of space and it's very clearly a flop it is like uh, even when you know that it's a trend you can spot it live but on the replay it's like oh yeah. so clearly but it's smart for other teams to take advantage of that just keep doing it until the refs start not calling it well and he did get his revenge in this one because it wasn't much later that he got a pretty weak offensive foul called the other way yep. so i think you it's probably pretty well known how i feel about the how many offensive uh, offensive fouls are called in college basketball right now it's yeah. just an unbelievable rate there's just way too many of them especially for a sport that is trying to encourage offensive play makes yeah. no sense doesn't make any sense uh, let's see here. So we had a three-point game, and uh, Reed Nico was already a big part of this comeback attempt. Um, he had had a good game so far, but he basically made it a career night. He converted another dunk and then got fouled and made two free throws, and that capped a 23-4 to Missouri run, and they took the lead 66-65. to And they did like- it. They came all the way back. I'm seeing like flashes of like Ryan Rosberg and his like senior season where he just kind of like the the light yeah just you know switched on and he was a really really solid player um, like the second half of his senior year. That'd be and something if Reed just averaged yeah. 13 points per game the rest of the way. And I I don't think that we could ever expect that from him, but he's really I feel like he is playing to like the top of his potential. Like he did last night what we could like only thing we could ever ask from him is just finish around the rim finish some dunks get some rebounds like make make a your block f- shot yeah make your free throws like he's a good free throw shooter um the game he had was like if tillman does that we're like wow yeah. tillman showed up he's seriously one of the most reliable players on the team right now just in the last maybe four or five games as somebody who just actually finishes uh at the rim yeah and it's consistently just able to score a few points yep uh georgia did get a basket um to regain the lead but then drew smith did his thing got into the lane got fouled made the shot uh to regain the lead and then he made the free throw to put missouri up two and then georgia tied it back up and then on missouri's next possession uh it looked like things were going great 
Um, but then Mitchell Smith missed a three. It was like he kind of looked like unsure that yeah, he wanted to even shoot it. Yeah, do I want to take this? This is a big shot. I'm wide open, but and it's just it like, didn't quite have the flow that his normal no. like stroke has. And it was just that moment where you're like, well, here it is. Yep. This yep. is this is the collapse. This is how it goes. This is how we lose it. Yep. But then Xavier Penson just rips the ball away from Edwards under the basket, lays it in, gives Missouri the two-point lead. That was seriously one of the plays of the entire season, in my opinion, was just as far as something that's completely like unexpected and, and completely game-changing, that was the perfect example of just like an aggressive play where he didn't foul. He just like kind of found his moment to like – to get in there and steal the ball and yeah, poke the ball away and then just kind of just fought for it yeah. right then just really quick and just, just quickly laid it in yeah yeah it's perfect and on replay when i watched the highlights afterwards the lay-in was actually an impressive shot like how quickly he just got under control and put it in made it look easy but an average person you know obviously you can make a layup but that situation that's actually a pretty difficult shot. Yeah, when you've got the number one player in the in the land all, like draping all over you, yeah, it's not not super easy. So Georgia had the ball; they had a chance here uh, to tie it or even take the lead potentially. Um, Penson and Pickett ran into each other on this play on defense, so they're on the ground. Yeah, Edwards gets around Reed Nico. He's going to the basket and he's going to tie it up, but then. Reed Nico recovers, gets back, blocks the ball off the backboard, and then into the arms of Mitchell Smith, who gets fouled, is going to the free throw line to extend the lead. And that was that was that play was a roller coaster. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, let's lock in on defense. Okay, they're running into each other. That was so crazy. <laughs> yeah, they both just like weirdly ran into each other, took themselves out of the play. Uh yeah, he just easily got to the basket and he just kind of put up a slow shot. It's like he knew that he just passed everybody and he's yeah. like okay i can just kind of take my time with the shot he didn't really like put a like a layup that was all, like in motion he kind of right. stopped and then just put up like a little uh two foot shot and one thing reed has always been good at is blocking shots he even back in high school i remember that was kind of one of his his uh greatest attributes it was just the timing of, of right. blocking shots and that was definitely one of probably his biggest individual play of his career. Right before that, uh, I didn't write this down, but I just remembered that it Missouri had, it looked like Missouri might get a chance to uh, just get fouled or try to run out the clock or whatever, because uh, I think it was Edwards again, lost the ball out of bounds mm -hmm. and they called it Georgia ball, but it looked like it didn't touch anybody. I definitely thought he just like threw it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the ref that called it Georgia ball originally, I don't think he was like, Oh yeah, I saw it go off a, you know, number 14's shoulder. Right. I think he thought the ball was stripped, mm -hmm. but then, so I was like, Oh, this can be Missouri ball and they just have to inbound it. Yeah. But you know, you know, your struggles there. Um, but then you see it go off of Nico's shoulder and you're just like, Oh, so close to yeah. just potentially ending this, but it didn't matter. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Smith was fouled. He made one free throw to extend the lead to three. And then when he missed the second one, Anthony Edwards just seemed to not know how much time was on the clock. I think he, it looked like he thought there was three seconds left, but there was like seven or something. And instead of 
trying to get down the floor for a good look. He jumps up around the half court line looking like he's going to try to make a buzzer beater with like five seconds left on the clock. Mm -hmm. So he realizes this midair, passes it off to uh, a teammate about half court. They get it back to him, and then he still has taken a kind of wild, off-balance, really deep three and thankfully missed. And that was just such a gift for Missouri because if he knows how much time is on the clock and kind of has a little bit more composure there, I mean, we could be looking at another Xavier situation where they're making a three to send it into overtime. And they've got the momentum. Right. Feels good. Yeah. It's, uh, man, when they were down big in this game, it was just, like, so depressing. And I'm still not sure that, you know, we have a real shot at at winning a ton of games or anything, but I really thought – Missouri might not win another conference game, like unless they just have some crazy Florida-like outbreak where they shoot really well. Um, if they can't beat Georgia at home, they can't beat Texas A&M at home, I don't know who in the world you're going to beat. And that still might apply, um, but it's just good to see them show some fight, make some shots, get back in a game, win a game, close game against you know a talented team. It's not like Georgia's terrible. They're, they're going to probably finish in the top – eight or nine in the conference potentially so uh one thing that missouri earning their 10th win of the season does is it uh it allows them to meet the kim anderson threshold which is the fact that the most wins missouri ever had under kim anderson was 10 so they have done that now with 11 games remaining in the regular season so that's always a good thing to reflect on and just kind of you know take stock of things and really remember you know just how bad it was not too long ago it's good to know that you're might be like a little bit better than the kim anderson years yeah that's good to know um reed nico was your ken palm mvp of the game with 13 points five rebounds two assists two blocks and a steal in 26 minutes of action um i'm pretty sure it was a i mean obviously a career night just because of how the game unfolded but i'm pretty sure that's a career high for points in a game for Nico. Uh, another career high, I believe. No, 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 not for Pensum, but for uh, Mitchell Smith, maybe? I feel like there was multiple career highs. But anyway, Pinson had 16 points in this one, and they all came in the second half, including 6 of 8 from the free throw line. And then Drew Smith added 16 points as well, shooting 3 of 6 from 3. And we talked about him pulling the trigger on some threes. That was a good thing to see. If he's shooting six threes a game, I was going to say totally uh, fine with that. I think he needs to shoot a minimum of five threes a game. I'm dead serious. Like he, there's just no reason that he's going to probably play thirty to thirty-five minutes a game, and he's going to have at least five opportunities in a game to shoot a, a at least decent shot at from the from three. And I think that he just changes this offense whenever he's shooting threes even if he's not making all of them he's just giving this offense a different look that he's not just going to pass up an open shot right and you just yeah you're forcing the the defense to respect that uh one guy we haven't talked about at all at all is mark smith because he was held scoreless he played in the first half but he did not play a single minute in the second half and after the game Conzo martin said he was dealing with uh he, he he said that he hurt his lower back 
there at the end of the first half and it was not able to return to the game. So hopefully uh, everything's fine there and it's just uh, something that he can get over with a little bit of rest and we can have him back out there because honestly one of the reasons that uh, I think Pinson was able to get as much of a leash as he as he did in this game and, and they had to go to him in the second half was because Mark Smith was out and they ran Drew Smith and Pinson together for such a long long stretch of the game there. Missouri as a team shot 44% from three, which will always do, and 43% from two, which is not great. But when you look at the first and second half splits on that, they shot 23% from two in the first half and 59% in the second half. So a huge difference there from one half to the next. And then uh, shout out to Matt Harris on Twitter. He pointed out that in the first half, Missouri attempted 0.137 free throws per field goal attempt. But in the second half, that improved to 0.708. So about six times as many free throw attempts per field goal attempt in the second half. So obviously when you're converting around the rim and getting to the free throw line, that makes a huge difference. Georgia's three-point shooting completely fell off a cliff uh, after the first half. They went 5 of 10 in the first uh, from three-point land, and they were 1 of 11 in the second half. So another huge part of the Missouri comeback. Uh, Anthony Edwards finished with, I, th- I thought I heard him say, his first career double-double. That's what I thought I heard as well. Uh, with 23 points and 10 rebounds. That kind of surprised me. Me too. Because he's kind of a big guy. Seems like he'd be able to uh, gobble up some rebounds. But 23 and 10 for him. Tyree Crump did not get it going in the second half after uh, having a pretty good first half. He finished with 13 points. And then a guy we talked about in the preview as being uh, kind of like the, the second guy there for Georgia, Rayshon Hammonds, he was invisible. Mm-hmm. Zero points and two rebounds in 33 minutes. Yeah. I literally was trying to figure out if he was playing, playing. in the game. Yeah. Because obviously I'm not super familiar with how, you know, with what each what of the like. Georgia players look like. So. I was like, is he hurt? Like, did he start? And I saw like, yes, he did start. And then I saw he is playing minutes. Where is he? Mm -hmm. He was just not doing anything. Missouri is now 10 and 10 on the season. So like we said, past the uh, Kim Anderson threshold, they are two and five in SEC play, 91st in Kim Palm, 134th on offense, 82nd on defense. They're 11th in the SEC in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency, so still not great. 4th in 3-point shooting, 14th in 2-point shooting, that's dead last. 1st in turnover turnover percentage defense, 13th in 2-point field goal percentage defense, and 12th in 3-point percentage defense. There's just none of those stats that are just like middle of the road. They're either great or awful. Uh, well, I picked everything. those. I kind of picked those picked on purpose, a bit. just to kind of show you the like their strengths and weaknesses. Right, that makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's still not great. But you get a win over Georgia. Still, you got to think. You know, like the Texas A and M game. You know, that's going to be one that you look back on. And you're just like, man, you really lost to Texas A and M at home. And the Tennessee game. Yeah. But. Anything else about the Georgia game you want to say before we move on? That was uh, one of the better comebacks we've seen in quite a while. Yeah, it really is. Feels good. Much needed. Yes. 
Because, like I said, if they lose this one, like, what game are yeah. they going to win? They're, they're going to win one or two more, yeah. but where is it going to be? Yeah. And also, we have that wonderful memory of Reed Nico blocking the potentially future number one pick in the NFL draft. Did you know he's going to play football? He looked like he could be a tight end. Yeah, he probably could. In the NBA draft, uh, we get to cherish that memory for the rest of our lives, uh, and so does Reed. Yes. Uh, most importantly, he gets to uh, say that he, he saved the game. And now that. we get to entertain the idea that Missouri might win their next two games. Oh, my goodness. They're both on the road, so maybe not. But uh, we started off with at South Carolina this Saturday. What do you know about South Carolina? Not a lot. I know they're kind of all over the place. They've had some decent wins. Um, I mean, it was just what a strange program. Um, yeah. Went to the Final Four like a couple of years ago. 2017. Yeah. And they Obviously just kind of coached by Frank Martin, mm-hmm. who we are familiar with from his days at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just not, not too far off of a Final Four run that probably secured him the job for the next 10 years if he oh, wants yeah. it. Yeah, that's not that's not a program that typically finds itself making deep NCAA tournament runs. So that was pretty weird to see. I think they knocked off Duke in at one point, like in the Elite Eight of that. Um, I think did they end up playing Florida in that? I think so. I think they ended up running into another SEC team because they got so far in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I don't I don't know much about them this year. They're pretty uh, pretty mediocre, as as I understand. They lost Chris Silva who was mm-hmm. kind of one of their best players last season. They are 11 and 8 this season, a 3 and 3 in the SEC, 92nd in Kimpom. So another team right there, right neck and neck with Missouri. Um and then really similar, uh 126th on offense, 85th on defense. So compare that to 134th on offense, 82nd on defense for Missouri. They are eighth in the SEC in offensive efficiency, fourth in defensive efficiency, and they are the third fastest tempo in the SEC. One thing when I think of South Carolina is just that I hate watching them play basketball. (laughs) Not dissimilar from West Virginia in that, man, I just kind of hate the way they play defense. So aggressive, so physical. The refs are never going to call all the fouls because if they did, they'd just be blowing their whistle every possession, and they take advantage of that. Is that a Frank Martin thing? Has his team always always played that way? Yeah. I really kind of like the guy. He's kind of weird. He's, People he's call he's it murder of, ball. Oh, murder ball. Okay. Yeah, yeah that sounds nice. Uh, Frank Martin, kind of an interesting dude. Um, Very intense. Yeah. like Whenever I watched him as a kid at like Kansas State, I was just thinking, like this guy's got to be the meanest dude terrifying in the world yeah. yeah and uh whenever you you know watch his interviews and stuff like that he's just like the nicest dude ever and that's what people say about him yeah like, he's, he's super just the nice. most nicest most genuine person and he always speaks so highly of missouri and i really thought that whenever missouri was looking for a coach a couple of years ago they might at the very least give him an interview just because i think he would would love to coach here and would love to coach at missouri and i don't really know why but um <laughs> I mean, I, like, well, I just mean like, I don't know what his like random affinity is for us, uh, uh, yeah. but it's just kind of, it seems to be a little random, but maybe it's just cause he's, you know, played against Missouri for a lot of his career and stuff. I don't know. And but he just really likes the color scheme. He loves those seats. He's like, man, I'd love to just <laughs> coach in front of a 
and just all he, yellow. It's, his, it's his actually his life's goal to get that arena full, so he doesn't have to look at the yellow seats. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Crack the code. Uh, South Carolina. Looking at their schedule, they lost to Ken Palm, ranked three hundred one Stetson at home. Not the Cologne brand. They have a basketball team. And producer Cameron appreciates that one. Uh, and that was about a month ago. Stetson and is Stetson. a Cologne brand. Yes, they make hats more famously. But well, yes. they make Cologne. I'm pretty dang sure. Sure I've never heard of that. <laughs> Viewers, listeners, tweet at Kyle. And I tell him. Uh, I think that uh, their logo is like a cowboy hat. Am I imagining that? Is there a cowboy hat like involved in their I don't know. school logo somehow? You don't know? Come on. Their school logo? South Carolina's? No, Stetson. Stetson. Stetson yeah. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's got a cowboy hat. Okay. Well, Cam's gonna. Yeah, Stetson do make hats. <laughs> they make cowboy hats. Yes. Okay, but we're going to find that cologne. <laughs> Stetson cologne. There it is. Stetson for men cologne. It's very cheap. <laughs> 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 looks like a looks like a Walmart brand of cologne. Moving on. South Carolina lost to Stetson cologne a month ago. But <laughs> but since then they've beaten Kentucky Texas A&M and Vanderbilt while losing to Florida, Tennessee, and Auburn. Sorry, Stetson Cowboy Hats. Uh, but they did beat Kentucky. Remember that one? B- pretty big upset. I do remember that. That was pretty surprising. Yes, indeed. Not like Evansville beating Kentucky surprising, but still surprising. South Carolina is led by sophomore guard A.J. Lawson, who we have seen before. Uh, but they have a balanced offensive attack. They have six players who are averaging between 8 and 14 points per game. So they spread it out a little bit. A.J. Lawson right there at just under 14 points per game. They are the worst team in the SEC at getting to the free throw line. They're also the worst team when it comes to sending their opponent to the free throw line on defense. So That could bode well. Yes. Uh, on offense, they are third best in three-point shooting in the SEC, 11th in two-point shooting. So something seems manageable so far. Uh, they don't shoot a lot of threes, but Lawson and freshman guard Jermaine Kuznard and junior guard Jair Bolden are capable and willing to shoot from deep, and Bolden shoots... on 68 attempts. So, like I said, not a ton of threes, but they can do it if you leave them open. So, with uh, Missouri struggling to defend shooters from any place on the court, I would not be surprised to see these guys make their share of three-pointers. They don't have much of a a post presence offensively, but their guards... about to go for about 25 and 10. Yeah. I don't know about that, (laughs) but... uh, their guards do uh, try to get to the rim often, and they can convert there from time to time. Um, on defense, they, like I said, they send their opponents to the line more than any other SEC team, but they are fourth overall in effective field goal percentage defense. And then senior Mike Kotsar is one of the better shot blockers and defensive rebounders in the SEC, sorry, offensive rebounders in the SEC, and then he also leads South Carolina in steals. 
he is a pesky player to play against. I we well, he's a senior, so he we've uh, seen Missouri play against this guy for a while now, and I always remember just he, he's frustrating to play against because he's everywhere, and like you said, he gets a lot of offensive rebounds. He just plays hard, um, does a lot of the little things that just help teams win. Kyle, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really listening to you there because I want to tell you a funny story. You want me to say it over again? No, I'll just tell you my funny story. Okay, sounds good. Um, when I saw that uh, I needed to mention freshman guard Jermaine Kuznard, and I saw that his name is spelled C-O-U-I-S-N-A-R-D, as you can see on the notes that uh, are in front of you, I took a trip over to South Carolina's official website and copied their pronunciation guide right here into these notes. So I knew that it was pronounced Kuznard. And I knew that Jair was pronounced Jair. And I knew that Kotsar was pronounced Kotsar. So I just felt guilty, you know, just going through that so smoothly. It really just seemed like I knew what I was doing. And I just needed to come clean that I looked up the pronunciation guide so that I wouldn't fumble it. Well, you looked you looked up the uh, pronunciations, and I work for Rivals, so we both came clean in this episode. Uh, but we, you still didn't know it was Coburn. True. <laughs> I would have never in a million years looked up the pronunciation guide for Kofi Coburn because the spelling seemed pretty straightforward. But also, I was lying again. I'll come clean. I did listen to you talk about uh, Mike Kotsar. And I agree. He's been very pesky <laughs> in his entire career at South Carolina. And I also found out that if he starts every game this season for South Carolina, he will be second in their school's history for games started. Wow. So Did you he, have to look up the pronunciation for the word cologne by any chance? Because you did say that right. And it's it's tricky if you look at how it's spelled. So I didn't well, know if you... <laughs> luckily, that. I wasn't reading it. I okay. was just saying it. So if I was reading it, then that might have really thrown me for a loop. Yeah. I think you probably would have gotten tripped up for sure. Yeah. Is Missouri going to beat South Carolina? Uh, Probably not. What? They just beat Georgia. Uh, They're at home. Well, (laughs) I will predict that South Carolina is going to shoot some threes because Missouri does not shoot, does not guard the perimeter very well. It have not been. Not an SEC play. No. So I think South Carolina is going to win this game 73-68. Well, since I have to apparently just try to will the team to win based on my own predictions. Did you did you predict the win against Georgia? Yes, I did. Oh, my gosh. I said, they, I said they would win by six. They, of course, they're gonna, you're going to get it right eventually when you predict a win for every game. Now, that's <laughs> now that's not true. I said they'd lose to West Virginia by, like, 17 or 16. Nailed um, that one, too, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to beat South Carolina on the road. They've okay. done it before. They'll do it again. I sure hope you're right. Missouri's going to win. What did you say? 73? Mm-hmm. No way South Carolina scores that many points. Oh, okay. Uh, this one's going to be, I like 68 for Missouri, though. Okay. Missouri 68, South Carolina 63. So we both like that five-point game. Okay. Indeed. Moving on to Texas A&M, a familiar foe from Missouri. Uh, Texas A&M marched right into Columbia, Missouri, and basically 
gave Missouri a, a bad loss on the resume. Uh, kind of an embarrassing home loss when you're talking about a Texas A&M team that's around 150 in Kimpom. Uh, and that was just a little over a week ago that they did that. Uh, since then, A&M lost to Oklahoma State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That was at home. Then they beat Tennessee on the road, of course. Then uh, they play Georgia in Athens on Saturday. So we will get to see that. Overall, they're 10-9 and nine on the season, 4-3 and three somehow in the SEC. And the somehow is because they've played Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, and Missouri. Uh, those are three of the wins, and then the fourth being Tennessee. They lost to Arkansas, LSU, and South Carolina. Hmm. Like I said, they sit at 154 in Kempom, 239th on offense, 90th on defense. So instead of going through uh, their roster and everything again and, and talking about their key players and all that, what does Missouri need to change from their embarrassing loss at home what do they need to do differently to get over the hump and beat what is a legitimately bad Texas A&M team, but this time in College Station? Make shots. You don't say. Uh, you led me right into that. Missouri, in the first matchup with Texas A&M, shot 40% from two and 26% from three. The only reason this was a close game was because they were 25 of 26 from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Is it as simple as that? I don't know, man. A and M, they're kind of a hard team. Hard team to predict. Um, they de- they destroyed Missouri in the post. Yeah, they, they did. shot fifty two percent. I I really feel like it's a bad matchup for Missouri, and they've they've hung around in pretty much every SEC game they've played. They kind of got beat fairly badly to uh, by Oklahoma State um, a week ago. But I'm gonna be honest, like. I don't know Missouri wins this game either. Um, I just think it presents a bad matchup and it's on the road. And I, again, would love to be wrong. Would love to see Missouri uh, shoot better and win this game. But I'm not sure I see it. Tell me I'm wrong. Ken Palm likes Missouri by one. I think it will be close. I mean, that's just kind of how this kind of game's going to go. I mean, both Does, teams are do you not. you think Tillman's back for this one? No. Both teams are offensively challenged. Both teams play slow. I think it'll be close, low scoring, but I just have a feeling Missouri's going to just not have enough in the tank to uh, to pull it out in the end. Yeah, I feel like you're probably right. Texas A&M on the season for their offensive effective field goal percentage, they are 334th in the country that's pretty terrible that that's like is bad in the bottom 10 mm-hmm. of all the teams maybe not quite pretty close and i just feel like is can how can missouri be as bad on defense as they have been in the sec in sec play so far i don't know they have an opportunity in this game against A&M, a little bit against South Carolina, but then again later against Vanderbilt to show that they're not just a complete pushover on defense. Mm-hmm. And I think Conzo Martin and his staff, we know they're aware of Kempom rating or somebody in the analytics department is aware 
of that because they talked about, you know, when Missouri crept into the top 30 on defense, they, they mentioned that in their social media and stuff. I think Conzo even tweeted about it specifically. So they know that Missouri is at the very bottom in the defensive metrics. Yeah. I don't understand what's changed. Um, because I, I really feel like that's the only thing that's changed drastically in Missouri's approach um, from the beginning of the season to the end. Obviously, we had good perform good performances in the beginning of the year. Obviously, a loss at Xavier, but it was close against a good team. Um, we beat Temple on the road. There, there were games that we played incredible defense, and I don't know what changed. Um, same personnel. Illinois was another really good defensive mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know um, at what point do you just say the other team shot bad I don't know I, it's that's a tough place to draw the line but it definitely feels like Missouri whether how much the teams the, the opposing teams are making shots or not I still it just feels like Missouri they're not playing defense at the effort the effort level that they were especially in the perimeter yeah yeah I mean it seems like what Missouri's doing on defense is not directly contributing to the other team's success on offense which is so weird to say with a with a Conzo Martin coach team especially one that looks so good early in the season I don't know I I feel like if I'm going to predict a win for a win against South Carolina I pretty much have to predict another win against Texas A&M and obviously I'm just being hopeful to some extent Um, I want Missouri to you know salvage seven or eight wins in sec play and there's only 11 games left they have two wins so far so yeah i'm going to predict missouri to win back-to-back road games (laughs) and the score is going to be 61 to 60 I wrote down 62 to 60. <laughs> Missouri? A- A&M. Oh, my gosh. Man. What do you think, producer Cameron? Uh, 60 to 61, Mizzou. That's what I said. This <laughs> <laughs> is <his> exact <laughs> prediction. <laughs> so you like... Uh, you guys almost said the same thing. I was trying to be right in between the both of you, but... I said Mizzou's going to go 0-2 in the stretch. You said they're going to go 2-0, and producer Cameron, would you like to agree that they're going to go 1-1 in the stretch? Oh, I sure would like uh, to. All right, so one of us is going to be right. We've covered our bases. Yeah. Well. 60-61 A&M. If they do go 0-2 in these two games, we're going to have a sad little podcast next week because these are games they absolutely should win. Um, but just the way things have gone, but I don't, I don't see it. After these two, they get to play uh, number 28, Arkansas, number 33, LSU, number 35, Auburn. In that order? Like, those those are the next three games? Mm-hmm. They got to win these games, man. <laughs> they got to they gotta win these. I mean, that that is absolutely part of my uh, optimism here is just out of necessity. Yeah. Because you're looking down the list, you got Ole Miss at home. And Vanderbilt on the road. Those are the only games left that Missouri's favored in. I was surprised they were even favored on Ken Palm against Georgia, to be honest. Well, was it home? True. That plays a big role. Well, anything uh, 
Anything else we need to talk about? I think that's it. All right. Why don't you uh, let everybody know they can find us. Don't forget, you can now find us on YouTube. And Instagram. We're all, we're the most accessible people yes. in the world. Have I mentioned that before? Yeah. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Twitter, at Mizzou Sports Pod. You can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. We will see you next week after two wins.